Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Hugh Brakey. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is Stolen Land Treaty has never been made in Australia. Hugh Brakey is a philosopher and a writer. He holds a senior research fellowship in moral philosophy, and he's joining me today with his new novel, The Beautiful Fall. Now, if you woke up one day with no memory of who you were, Where do you think you would place your trust? Every 179 days, Robbie forgets everything about himself. The last time this happened, all he had was a note written by himself to guide his future. He keeps himself protected by avoiding the world, shut in, deliveries to the door and very little outside interaction. He can't risk that the forgetting happens and he is left at the mercy of a stranger. Robbie has a project that structures his days. He's building an elaborate, record-breaking dominoes pattern. And that's enough until one day, not long before the next forgetting, a new delivery person arrives at Robbie's door and he feels a spark of something. Join me as we discover Hugh Brakey's The Beautiful Fall. My name is Andrew Popel and I'm going to introduce to you an absolutely fabulous new book that uh, I've been wading around in its ideas for the last week or so and having the greatest time. I want to share it with you right now. Uh, but first, I'm, I'm going to introduce its author, um, Hugh Brakey. Hugh, thank you for joining me so much on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, Andrew. Now, normally I'd be a little bit more formal and do a, a bit of a bio before I, I asked you to say hello, but I, I found I loved doing my research for your bio so much. Um, that I wanted to, I wanted to back and forth on this because uh, let's importantly acknowledge you are a, a philosopher and a writer. But amongst all the bios, I found out you're you're a black belt. You've done pinball repair. Your work has contributed to government agencies. You play the drums and have built tennis courts. Now, I also saw that you're a senior research fellow in moral philosophy, and I wondered about this expansive bio, does does this wide world experience, such as I've just listed, does it support your explorations into a philosophy of how we are best to live our lives? Absolutely. I think it does. We can't make judgments about the, the best life we have to live unless we've you know, really experienced a lot of things and said yes to a lot of things um, and, and made lots of mistakes and learned from all of those mistakes. So I, I, I think it is um, a real risk, especially for philosophers, that we can we can become narrow in our thinking. The nature of philosophy can focus on very sort of simple things because when you think about simple things philosophically, they wind up becoming very deep, very profound, and, and very challenging to to understand. Um, but what that can mean is we do we do focus a little bit narrowly. We look we look deeply, but but with a shallow field of vision. Um, and I think one of the things that that I like to to always remember is that is that breadth of experience that sort of allows allows us to take in all of the different things that are going on in the, in the complexity of the world and then and then work out how as human beings we we should be responding to that. I wanted to test those philosophical waters a little bit to begin with because 
as we come to learn a little bit about the beautiful fall, questions of life and its living, they're very much of concern to your protagonist. Now, Robbie, the central character of A Beautiful Fall, Robbie loses his life every 179 days. That is to say, this is the time that he's calculated between the forgettings, an event that he assures himself because he wrote himself a letter is the result of a rare neurological condition. This presents some challenges. And in fact, I I loved as I, as I came through the book that you have put as your central character a person who, much like many an avid reader, has to deal with this idea of an unreliable narrator. Do you have a, do you have a fascination with unre- unreliable narrators? Let's, let's maybe start there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, that ability to be hearing a story and learning about about the world from from one primary source, which is what happens with an unreliable narrator, and then realizing that, that you're not getting a completely honest account, not not a completely full and thorough and comprehensive account, um, is I think it's a wonderful shift when it happens in books when that when that realization happens, um, and in in a character that is that is routinely forgetting his entire life and therefore having to having to invest trust in those that have gone before and those who, who might be there in the future. Um, it means that, that Robbie's life in, is in a way punctuated by these, um, these instances where his life is being narrated to himself uh, and he is thrust into that position of, of whether he is a reliable narrator um, to himself and about himself. And that really begs the question, doesn't it? Because an unreliable narrator presupposes the idea that somewhere out there we're all living lives with reliable narration. Uh, do you think that's maybe an idea we need to complicate in our own lives? Absolutely. It, it, it really is. I mean, we are, we are storytelling creatures. We tell stories to other people, but we also tell stories to ourselves. And the stories that we tell of and about ourselves and our history and our relationships are very meaningful in the ways that, that they influence our lives and the way that we then we then picture our roles in those relationships and in, in that history. And and we can get them wrong. We can we can tell stories that are that are self serving and that, that place us in a in an ideal way. Um, but equally we can tell stories that are that undermine ourselves and that, that place ourselves in a way that is not actually allowing us to understand, you know, the, the resilience and strength and, and um, the way which we've successfully navigated a lot of the things in our life. The storytelling is always important. We're inherently narrators and we're inherently unreliable. Yeah, it seems, it seems as the world comes to look less and less wise, we could maybe just reclassify the species as, as homo narrator. Um. <laughs> So let me ask you then, if you were to wake up tomorrow with no memory of who you were, where do you think you would place your trust? I think, well, I, I hope it's, it's a bit tricky because, um, because I, I haven't been in that, in that situation and, that, and suddenly not knowing um, you know, the people around me um, would, would, be really, would be really difficult. Are they to be trusted? Um, sitting here now, now if I had to prepare for it, and that's the situation that, that Robbie's in, now I would I would absolutely be relying on on my family, those those people in my life that are closest to me, um, to be able to do that, to be able to form the environment in which I will I will learn to fit, and I will be able to become the same person that I am now. 
Um, so I'm in a position, and I'm sure many readers will be in a position where they where they know who they would trust to put themselves into the hands of when when this event takes place and they're suddenly vulnerable in extraordinary ways. Um, but even then, there would be there would be a little bit of risk. What if what if my wife decides to improve me a little? What if what if there's a a few little nuances of character that might be better if, if, if the new version of, of Hugh didn't have. Um, and so we're, I think in a situation like that, we're at risk not only from those who would, who would do us harm or those who would manipulate us, but also those, those who love us and those who would improve us. Um, so I think it is, a, it is a real trust issue about what we do when, when one of our main routes to understanding the world, our memory of ourselves in our past history uh, is stripped away from us. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me there. You you made that comment about maybe maybe some of our loved ones might try and tweak us, improve us a little bit, and how as individuals, individuals that that love each other, that care for each other, that have an understanding, can still have such different views of what makes us who we are and what those improvements might even be. And I mean, I'm sure anyone out there listening will be thinking, "Yeah, I know how I'd improve." person x and perhaps i know what they do to me but there's no way i uh, there's no way i would take that on because i don't see that as being core to myself yeah I, I think i think that's right i mean i think the reality is that we can have extremely good relationships with other people become extremely close to them and and love them dearly but it can still be that the picture in our head isn't isn't quite mapping on to the picture of who they are or to who they want to be and so there would be a risk in those cases where somebody is suddenly assuming that that control and is able to tell you the story of who you are, um, that they that they won't get it the way that you would tell that story, the way that you would try and, and recreate your yourself in the future. Mm. Now, so far we've we've painted a picture of Robbie as almost a, a kind of tabula rasa, sitting sitting blankly in a room uh, because he he simply doesn't know who he is. But that's that's not the case. Robbie has had the. Well, a Robbie has had the foresight to write a letter to explain the situation and has also provided a project. So Robbie has a project that structures his days. He's building an elaborate record-breaking, perhaps, dominoes pattern through an entire room of his house and climbing the walls. Now, the conceit of the dominoes fascinated me. As I, as I moved into Robbie's immersion in this project, it felt that the dominoes were, were almost symbolic of that control he was trying to exert on his life of trying to build something extraordinarily complex like like a life from scratch through sheer force of will. And because of that, Robbie remains on high alert around his dominoes. In fact, we meet him. We meet him in a, in a tragic situation in his life where he has actually toppled some third or half of his dominoes. The, the edifice is starting to crumble. And he, he, he knows he must maintain control over every aspect of this or the whole thing will come tumbling down. Can you talk to me a little bit about that that idea of the dominoes and control? Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. The the dominoes are something that, that Robbie is building over time and the idea is that that this was a, a sort of a, a quest, a task, a project that was given to him by his former self. And it's something that, that he's setting up and, and creating and controlling and building. Um, but he will never see them fall. That's not the plan. The plan is for him to then bequeath them to the next Robbie, the Robbie who arrives, who's then able to see that he's a part of a history, that, that he has 
been in the world before, that he has created stuff in the world, in the world, that he's not a blank slate, but he's actually somebody who's able, like, like the rest of us are with, with functioning memories and, and ordinary lives, where we can plan for the future, we can work to create, and then we can eventually reap, reap the rewards and see our achievements or, or see our failures. Either way, the ability to, to push himself through that period of the forgetting and see what he has done and be able to reach back in time to the person that he was is something that's absolutely critical and, and, and driving Robbie. And at the same time as there's, as there's all this control going on and there's this fear of, of what might happen if it, if it all falls down and everything comes toppling down, um, is this sense of creativity that's awakening in him where he's actually seeing that, that this is something like an art form that can be created uh, around him. Um, and so that's sort of awakening at, at sort of a different way of pushing himself through time, a different way of being able to express who he is as an individual and to have that identity then be something that the new Robbie can, can respond to uh, is, an, is another way that he's trying without the ability of memory, but with the ability to, to create, to push himself through time and make sure that that person in the future can, can witness what he's done and know that that is what the person in the future can be capable of as well. What about that idea of creation through control and will? Because it, it struck me as something that, that has a, a common sense um, understanding to it. We feel like, uh, say, we, we want to achieve something in our life. If we order our days a little bit better, if we, if we stick to that timetable, we will be able to do these things. But it, it felt a little bit like it was stifling creativity in a sense that because we are moving so carefully around the things that are already established, we, we can't let them move. We're only we're only ever building on top. We're never we're never shifting what's already there. Yeah, and this is something that increasingly Robbie you know, starts to realise as he as he goes through um, his his journey in the book that he is doing a huge amount of of control because that is what he thinks he needs to do, and he, he does live an extremely regimented life when the when the book begins um, because he thinks that 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 discipline that control that achievement. Um, the, the autonomy, as we'd say, the, the ability to control his life and see that his choices are what are shaping his life has become almost all-consuming in, in the way he approaches his condition. Um, but the reality is that that can be stifling. You can, you can spend a lot of time um, building your world, but you can also spend a lot of time building a cage. And there is that sense in, in, the, in the falling, um, both the falling of the dominoes and, and in terms of the ability to step out into the unknown and be be taken away, um, which is something that sort of happens with um, w- with the introduction of, of, of Julie, who um, bursts into his life, um, is is that capacity to to release control and and the fact that that's a part of our identity as well. That that stepping into the unknown, that being willing to fall, um, is is as much a vital part of being human as is our our ability to control our world. Yeah. Now let's get to Julie because it felt like till this point you had created something of a, a locked room mystery. Robbie's memory, his life, it was the mystery. And I mean, in a sense, it was it was a bad detective mystery because he had given up on solving it. There there was no there was no irascible portly detective seeking to get to the, the final solution. 
But then a change in Robbie's routine. It throws absolutely everything up in the air, and his routine is regimented. He has his deliveries. He tries not to leave the house. He works on his dominoes. When a new delivery person, only a week out from the next forgetting, arrives at his door, Julie, and there's a spark. There are so many cliches about, you know, getting to a certain point in your life and, you know, kind of being established. You know, you're not applying for any more friends. You've, you've got the friend set you've got. You, you've got the life that you've worked for. What does it mean to open up? What does it mean to, to try and let something new into a life? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think it's a perennial question. It's one, that, it's one that we all ask of ourselves all the time. You know, have, have I got enough? Is what I've done enough for me now to, to stop stepping into the unknown, to, to decide that the world I've created around me is, is, is stable enough and is beautiful enough and is worthwhile enough that it's, that it, that it's okay for me to function in this way? Um, and then that question of what if there's something more out there? What if there's something that, that is more worthwhile out there than, than what I'm doing? And will I be able to, to risk what I've done and all of the things I've invested in over this time um, to reach out and, and try for something, try for something more, to become something more? And that's very much the, the wrestle that all of us have, but many times when we reflect on our life, that is absolutely the, the challenge that faces Robbie when he knows that he's going to be forgetting in this now very short period of time. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's falling for this girl and that is pulling him away from the control and, and the desire to remain, um, local and within his tiny room performing all his regimented disciplined activities, but is instead, you know, pulling him out into the world and, and asking him to, to take risks, which, are, which for Robbie are real risks given, you know, given the condition that he has, given what he, he knows is going to happen to him in a very short period of time, um, that that dilemma between holding on to what we have and maintaining and rebuilding and stepping out into the unknown and, and becoming something something new and possibly more him um, is, is the one that he's, he's confronting and the one that, that he wrestles with when his feelings for Julie start, start building. Yeah, now in my notes... For quite a while, I had a big emphatic with about five question marks line that just says, what to say about love? Because love felt to me very central to the beautiful fall. But of course, there's the question of of how Robbie can love if he's forgetting the person that he is every six months. With only a few days left till the next forgetting, like Robbie's really, he's struggling to love himself. He, He can barely attached to himself knowing that that self is about to go and and he'll lose he'll lose that that's that person loving of course is is not just about loving yourself it's about opening up your entire world what would you say then about the ways that we love and whether we're talking directly about Robbie or just this idea or the conditions that we seem as as humans to put on love before we will allow ourselves to be swept up by it yeah, so it's it's oh, there's a lot of deep questions going on here, um, and and in some senses they're they're reflected in the in the philosophy of, of love in the studies that you know the, that we see being done on it by by scholars where there's this this question about whether whether love is a, an emotion, whether love is a sense of valuing where we where we 
put the other person up on a pedestal and we we think of them in this sort of um, profound way because we really recognise um, you know their their depth and significance and that love is a way of allowing us to do that. But at the same time, there's a sort of an alternate school of thought that says, well, no, love is fundamentally a, a history. That's what it is. It's it's telling us not not something about the person as they are in this in this snap instance, but it's telling us something about what has happened to them in their life, that they've shared all these experiences, mm-hmm. that they've changed as a person, that they, they are in love with, with him because they've shared their experiences with him, they've built a life around him, they've changed with him. And in a sense, and they've, they've committed to him as well, they've, they've made decisions about the way their life is going to be that, that have been commitments to this person. And so in a sense, that's what, that's what Robbie is, is being faced with because he's, he's quite possibly, you know, could set himself up to be born into this new world um, with someone else, with somebody that, that he loves. Um, and it may be that he will, he will love them still in, in that new world. If they're the same person who attracted him in this world, it's quite possibly they'll be the same person that attract him in the next world. But then there's that question of history, that question of experience. Love is more than than merely valuing and idolizing the person and, and being infatuated with them. It's knowing that you have a history with them, knowing that you 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 shared ideas and and promises and desires with them. And for Robbie, that's that's the type of thing that it's difficult for him to have. And so he's working to try and be able to have that side of love um, and also be be wrestling with the idea of of how much he can love in, in his condition and how much he needs to sacrifice of, of his autonomy, of his control, um, if he decides to do what love does to all of us, but will do in an extraordinary way to him, which is to change who he is. And so we keep coming back to this idea of memory, this this sense of Robbie Robbie is struggling to feel himself to be complete because he he's constantly building on this this flat ground and you explore so much about this the 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 imperfect record of that is memory for us robbie begins a project he he decides he's going to start a journal as a way to to pass some sort of legacy on but of course you explore many incredible and interesting ways about the way about how our bodies encode and identify us beyond that sort of simple idea of of declarative memory. When we when we talk about memory, we're often talking about that declarative memory, the things that we we can recall and then verbalize. Robbie's past ultimately is is written all over his body. Do you think it is though important for us, just as humans, to develop a deeper understanding of of those sorts of memory of what makes us who we are? Yeah, absolutely. I think. You know, when you when you say that you're going to take away someone's memories and you're going to strip them of, of all of that, um, it's so easy for us to think that that will that will make us a blank slate. That therefore we'll be we'll be unmoored in the world with with no idea who we are. But there's lots and lots of ways that we act now in a way that impresses upon our future selves what what we will be. Think of all of the things going on in our subconscious, all of those little voices that you have in your head that. that that tell you about things and tell little stories about your life. Think of all the emotional responses that you have to other people and to situations that prompt you to behave in, in particular ways. Think of think of the, the property you have around you, the world you've built around you, all of the ways you've structured that world to reflect who you are. 
And think of think of your your body and your clothes and all of those types of things. All of these are ways in which we we're recording and pushing into the future our our identities. And these are things that that Robbie is is um, discovering as he goes on, more and more working out a way, not merely in which to sort of tell himself who he is who he will be in the future through through things like the journal. But rather to, to etch into himself, into his body, into his emotions, into his perception, the type of person he is. Because those things, those things will remain. Those things won't disappear. All he will forget is his declarative knowledge, his, his episodic memory. All of those other parts, and, and some of those make us very profoundly who we are as a human being. All of those other parts will survive, and if they will survive, and if they can be changed and altered and and uh, manipulated now, then perhaps that's a way we can push ourselves in into the future. And I think it is for all of us, but we just don't think about it very consciously most of the time. We don't think about the decisions we are making now that impact on ourselves emotionally, physically, environmentally in the future. It is it is such a fascinating exercise, and I'm I'm very tempted to turn. The question I asked you on myself, and maybe we can invite you know the readers, maybe the, maybe the people are listening back to this on the podcast, to pause the podcast and ask yourself, if you woke up tomorrow with no memory, what do you think your body would tell you? I, I wonder, would I would I feel the constant ache in my knee and know that for years and years I played soccer? Would I would I look at my long hair and my beard and wonder, is this person a, a hipster or a metalhead? Um, and that's got to be fun for anyone who's only ever heard this on the radio. It's just like, oh, Andrew's a metalhead? There are so many things, as you say, that are encoded in our ways of being that just move away from that declarative memory. Um, and so now I just – there are so many places we can go. And, again, we've moved, we've moved from, as I said, that Kafka-esque forgetting man sitting in a room. We've opened up his world. He's met Julie – but we're we're moving very lightly around some of the mystery of the beautiful fall. And I'm actually, I, I need to take a light foray into the mystery of the beautiful fall and considering the implications of the forgetting. Uh, at a point in the book, Robbie lashes out. He says, so what does that mean for me that I don't matter at all? I'm just a mistake you're going to fix He's talking about the forgetting. He's talking about the idea that somehow the forgetting might, uh, you know, might fundamentally change him from from time to time. That the notion of improvement that you mentioned before. Robbie talking about this kind. He's talking about a kind of a medical model of disability where things are fixed or cured versus, I guess, an acceptance of the neurodiversity that Robbie has. It felt to me like you were connecting deeply with an ongoing debate around ableist perspectives and the way that these biases can actually be really harmful for people living with disability. Was that something that was on your mind? Is that something you can talk to a little bit? Oh, it's a very it's a very interesting thought. I don't think that explicitly would have been on my mind, but that that idea that um, things can happen to us and can can turn us into someone we are now and others can think of that as being um, a, a, a bad thing, a, a wrong thing, a thing that, that needs to be fixed in order for us to be okay again. Um, 
but it, it's it's who we are. It's it's our history. It's it's what we are in a you know in perhaps a very deep and fundamental level. Um, and if we're looking to change that, if we're looking ourselves to to move on from that, um, that's one thing. But if we are ourselves um, accepting of it, if we've grown around it, if it's if it's a part of ourselves that we have claimed ownership of and been committed to and taken on the challenges um, and the glories that might be within that. Uh, then to be confronted by the idea that, that that part of us is is a mistake, it's something wrong and something that, that we should be uh, working to fix and that others should be working to fix for us um, is, is is a really scary and confronting one and one that, you know, I think we're, we're right in pushing back hard against um, because, you know, because, you know, there are lots and lots of things in the world that are mistakes um, and they may be mistakes in, in some genuine sense of the world, an, an accident, a catastrophe, something that, that we w- would rather had never have happened. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't come to, come to own, come to identify with, come to, come to grasp those things as being important parts of ourselves. Um, and as, and in that sense, not wanting to be fixed, not wanting to be, to be altered, not wanting to be improved. Mm. It would be, so incredibly difficult, I feel, to live that sort of contingent life, the idea that your your acceptance is reliant on you moving towards a state other than what you are right now. I want to come full circle. Um, I asked you a little bit about the dominoes at the beginning of our conversation, and we talked about ideas of of control, of, of them being quite rigid. But to contrast that idea... Uh, the phrase that gives your book its title, The Beautiful Fall, Robbie finds himself trying to explain the reason for the dominoes to Julie. She's delivering his groceries. She's, she's curious about these things. And he hits on the idea of the beautiful fall when the dominoes come down. And that phrase, it evokes a kind of, uh, of a release, a space where we're allowed to let go of, of that you know, rigid control and be vulnerable, and, and, and see some beauty in that. How important is that kind of freedom to a well-lived life? How in, important is not just the control, but the acceptance of what we can't control? Yeah, I think it's absolutely, it's absolutely pivotal, and I think that's, that really is one of the, the main themes that the, the book is trying to explore, um, the idea that Control is a significant part of our life and it's, it's always understandable when we try and, and, and yearn for that, when we try and make sure that, that we've got a stable, safe world around us. Um, but, but at the same time, there is this, this glory in letting go. There is this glory in, in trusting ourselves um, and trusting others to be able to, to sort of look after us and move with us as we, as we go through the world. Um, and that, you know, in a sense, obviously for Robbie, but for all of us, um, that that type of fall is inevitable. We will be in a world where where things don't go as we plan. We will be in a place where where things are falling down around us, um, and the ability to to understand that and reconcile yourself to that, and at least sometimes to be able to step into that, to lean into that, and know that this is something that that life is and that this is this is something that that can be a great and wonderful part of life and that if you can prepare for it and if you can you know work out how to how to write it um then it can be a 
place where where life's creativity and beauty uh, actually lie for you. Yeah, it brings me brings me back to those ideas of memory we were discussing earlier. Whether it's the embodied memory, the scars that we that we wear on our body, um, that that shared memory, the the moments that that build love, um, we have this idea that that beautiful fall becomes a part of an essential part, an inextricable part of who we are. I'm speaking with Hugh Brakey. We are discussing the beautiful fall and we have, we have given you a sense of the book and I hope you can trust me and take a beautiful fall into this book because there is so much that we've shrouded in mystery that, well, I want you to discover the Beautiful Fall is an incredible book, and Hugh, thank you so much for taking the time to go into it with me. Oh, thanks for talking with me, Andrew. That's it for this great conversation with Hugh Brakey. Hugh's new novel is The Beautiful Fall. It's out now from Text Publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app. There is a... Well, there's a new great conversation every week, but we're also in this really nice pattern where there's a little bit of bonus stuff dropping in the week. So you're always going to have some book content to keep you reading. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. And as always, I wish you happy reading. Bye now.